This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello and welcome to Who's Up Podcast. I'm Freya and I'm here with Christian. Morning. Joseph. Good evening. And Bryn. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of dying a bit. Update yeah, you missed time. Horrible Histories night. Yes, yeah, not. Oh. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. We're I'm on really the record upset. now. You can't swear on me anymore. No. <laughs> we literally just had this conversation and I did, in fact, swear. I'm angry. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what I did have warning. was. Uh, why do you always have to interrupt me when you do that? <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> Yeah, so I did in fact have Hoosock still, thanks to Cosby. Um, but yes, yeah, so we did Kinder, um, with TARDIS landing on planet Devaloka, and Nissa just was like, I'd rather have a nap. Um, and the Doctor, Tegan, and Adric are left to, you know, get into shenanigans. Tegan falls asleep under some like spacey wasty wind chimes. As is her right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Evil stuff happens Adric's an idiot I mean what more do you need than that really Neris uses there oh yeah that's true she's amazing um yeah it's, there's a big blow up snake at the end that's the thing that happened <laughs> <laughs> snake, the was great. The snake was the highlight of the episode big there was one reason snake. that episode was picked it was for that snake <laughs> It's just yeah, too good. I love really it. pull that straws to find a five episode we could show this term. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So uh, as a just to start with Nissa, um, she just she just yeets off back into the TARDIS. And uh, you were that's valid. Freya, so um, we looked it up on the on the TARDIS wiki as you do. Uh, and so Sarah Sutton's contract was being within negotiation at the time, which is why she wasn't in the middle parts. Um, but quite, Sarah Sutton didn't mind because she got to go shopping instead. <laughs> nice. Understandable. <laughs> you know I mean, fair that? enough at that point. Like, can't when blame you her. Don't have to, when you, it means you don't have to do this episode, it's, you know what, there are, there are worse things. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty fun episode. I mean, I've seen it before and I've seen it again this time and both times I only paid half attention. So, <laughs> it's always... Both have a broad stroke, but like it's an interesting concept, Vimara. Um, I think this story doesn't play up Vimara as much as future stories do. So Snake Dance and the Audio Cradle of the Snake both go more into this exploration of how uh, Vimara is kind of a manifestation of fear, for example, which is quite a neat angle to take on it but here the Vimara is just this big funky snake <laughs> that's pretty much it with great tattoos to be fair you gotta yeah. give credit for that tattoo <laughs> as they slide along your arms do you know I'd quite like to have moving tattoos that'd be fun a bit like um what's the film Moana the Maui I've not seen it but <laughs> oh cool I should probably see it yeah just like that <laughs> I, I'd want to get a TARDIS that uh, materialises and dematerialises that would be kind of funky um, 
Yeah, uh, oh, this is a slow story, you can tell. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> yeah, no, to be fair, I have to admit, I wasn't that riveted. You said that you were only paying half attention. Yeah, so I was I, I had to go on Thomas Wiki the for the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about Big Finish for half the time. It was actually quite a good time for me. I said I started watching Big Finish and it was just the entire it was episode. Quite did an not enjoyable matter uh, two hours for me, actually. So, okay, let's move this up and kind of drag this forward. So, um, we have Tegan's plot and Adric's plot. Uh, Tegan falls asleep and people decide to put ceremonial flowers on her as she's napping, which is, you know what? <laughs> That's quite sweet, to be fair. Like, if, if I sweet? had a nap under some spacey-wacy wind chimes and then woke up to find that I was covered in flowers, I'd be like, oh. I would be mortified. People were watching <laughs> me sleep and they didn't do anything. In fact, we did, we did more than didn't do anything. They did something and didn't wake me up. <laughs> they put flowers on me. Yeah, but now you have flowers. It feels so patronising, though. No, but also you could think about how cool you must have looked lying there under the tinkle of the I wind don't chimes think I'd in a bed cool of flowers. I like, nap in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of a field. I don't think I'd be looking Well, cool. Tegan looked pretty anyway, so. Great, excellent. <laughs> Tegan. <laughs> So anyway, she she goes into her little little void space and and, uh, and meets some people and kind of playing chess on some hexes. You say some people, a lot of those people happen to also be Tegan. <laughs> she meets a lot. This of is true. Um, it's looking back Tegan. You, you know, she was already moaning about needing to go back to Heathrow, and I really, really need to go back. But but this now, you know, there's many Tegans to really wind you up. Um, and as I mentioned, the lecture theatre again, it, I love how Janet Fielding's Twitter handle is mouth on legs and she, how she just kind of took up the mantra of just babbling her mouth off. I think it's quite endearing, to be honest. She's sweet. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, Tegan. I, I really like Tegan, despite the fact that the show tries to make me dislike her quite often, I think. Like, as a character, I find her quite enjoyable. It's just then the show is always making her seem quite reluctant to be on these adventures like if you're really reluctant just stay in the TARDIS for a few hours come on like there's infinite space in the TARDIS go for a swim and don't join the adventure with the Doctor it's really not that difficult um, on the other hand I do like having a companion whose job is basically just to stand there and shout abuse at the Doctor I think that's really entertaining it is wonderful it's, it's, he is definitely uh, the best example of that as well I think like you have Perry who does a similar thing but obviously it doesn't quite work as well Hmm. Yeah, yeah no, I think I just I just love that Tegan really doesn't take any crap from him at all. It's just I just, I just uh, wish she was um less reluctant in going on the adventures themselves. Mm. I think especially once Turlo joins, there's this just general bitterness between the two. I mean, Turlo and Tegan being at odds is actually quite a classic thing. That's meant to be a dynamic, but like her reluctance to do certain things starts to get on your nose. Like surely if you're really not enjoying it that much, just don't join along. At the point you've joined along, you should at least participate, I think is the thing. Uh, that's not really an f- issue as much this year, but sometimes it does get a bit... Um, so it's because the longer it goes bearing. on, the worse it gets because mm-hmm. like it's more like you have had multiple chances to not do this now and mm-hmm. yet you are continuing to do it and yet you're still behaving the same way like you're really not to victim blame it... of course <laughs> <laughs> of course but again like you say you could just stay in the title i mean it has a swimming pool and a library like wouldn't you just stay... i think i'd have some times where the doctor would go and get into shenanigans and I would just stay in the TARDIS. And if the, do- and if the doctor never comes back to the TARDIS, you do have infinite space and infinite food 
Uh, to, to last year a while. I could just be like food machine, like, make me lasagna. You can probably like find a copy of K9 somewhere in there and have company as well. Like it probably wouldn't be yeah. too difficult. Oh, draw from the TARDIS memory banks and make holograms of past companions to just chill with. Exactly. Um, so, she gets so lost in the TARDIS, she ends up with her own spin off. <laughs> <laughs> a big Finnish spin off of her, just her wandering around the TARDIS. Iconic. That would actually be quite good. They probably would do it, to be fair, as well. Yeah, um, yeah. They've done weirder. So, um, Adric. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's right, angry grumbles. Into it's time for my rant. I'm gearing up. I'm gearing up. Just wait for it. It's coming in a minute. You could feel okay, it rumbling right, on the so horizon. Adric, this episode, uh, is immediately a bit of a prat. Uh, it continues to be a prat throughout the entirety of the, uh, I can see the rant, very coughing, that's her rant going. Um, so Adrix, um, he immediately gets into trouble and you can see the disdain on Five's face as soon as Adric so gets mad. into trouble. He's so mad, I love it. <laughs> like, well, he spends the whole time berating him, like that they're being taken to the dome. Mm-hmm. And, and after Adric screwed up, like he's literally just, I, I'm done with this child the entire way there. And it oh, it makes me very happy to see him getting what he deserves because he deserves to be berated like that constantly. He is useless. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, just the plot kind of descends into Adric bad, but Adric actually bad. Um, and he's terrible at sneaking. <laughs> he is. It's just... Oh. I just despair at everything that boy does. Literally, I'm just, you're a stupid little boy. I I can't take it. Yeah, it I don't know. Just you... the point where he so starts much. reaching towards the like neon nuclear bombs, <laughs> and everyone <laughs> in uh, everyone in the uh, lecture pit would still like. <laughs> yeah, so dumb with him. Um, so we did watch uh, the little ending of Earthshot. By the way, uh, after we finished the, <laughs> the palate cleanser, <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, so, his Adric, best moment. Adric is, I will say, on Noah Five, I quite enjoyed Five this episode. Sometimes he gets commented on being quite passive, but I thought he was actually quite enjoyable in his sass mm. throughout this episode. He had his little gag about uh, an apple a day keeps her home. Never mind. It was quite <laughs> an obvious gag to make, but he was actually quite, uh, quite fun this episode, I think. Um, was this is one of five's better episodes for five himself yeah like even if the episode itself isn't something like he actually has some characterization standing out um uh, so not... go on oh, no no sorry you go i mean i was gonna say like five some people love five more than others i'm on the kind of side of that i can i can leave five in tv wise but like he did have some nice moments in this one where it felt like he had some proper agency adding to the story and actually knowing what's going on which was quite nice. Because I'm not big on five. I'm the opposite to you. I don't like dislike him or anything, but I wouldn't say he's, he'd probably be down there on my list just because I like other doctors more. But I do have to say, even like that scene that we mentioned before of him and Adric being marched into the dome, I quite liked him in that scene. Yeah. Where he is spirating Adric. I thought that was quite one of his best. That was one of his best. Any scene moments. where Adric is getting absolutely clowned on is it's, it's like a good a best, scene. It's the best scene then. Just, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think uh, my personal favourite in that realm is one that wasn't even supposed to be a scene of Adric being berated, but it was just where Romana comes out with a load of dusty boxes and blows the dust directly into his face. <laughs> like she didn't have to do that, but she did it. <laughs> and I'm wondering any- how much of that was actually Lala's idea. Oh, all of it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did not. 
like him. Yeah, so that's another component. And then we move on, and well, there's there's a few side characters in this episode. There's Hindle and Sanders, who have their own little thing going on that they become <laughs> man-children, basically. Just generally um, unhinged kind of behaviour. I'm not entirely sure why, either. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't sure if I wasn't sure why because I wasn't paying attention to the whole thing, but if you were paying attention, I was still not sure why, then... Um, I was paying attention. I wasn't sure why they suddenly regressed to children. Yeah. It was to do with that weird box, wasn't I was it? Saying, I think it was something to do with the box. <laughs> like, they became idiots, which is why the Doctor wasn't affected by the box, because the Doctor is an idiot already, so it's fine, obviously. Oh, I'm glad we but, were all paying attention to this episode so much. Beyond that, <laughs> it really, 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 really highlights this week's quality. <laughs> No, no, but to be fair, this is why we have Joseph because if we've missed something, Joseph will not have missed. Yeah, something. so if we're confused, and Joseph confused. Yeah, something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Joseph is here as the baseline to tell whether it's just us or if it's the actual episode that's. No, I mean it was. To do with the box. It didn't really explain why the box suddenly made you into a child. That was. Sorry, just I'm noting down the part where I'm going to shout out Frey later. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, we have one rule, Frey, I'm going into his podcast. <laughs> to be fair, no I've hard not swears. actually done it. No I've hard not... swears. One rule. The time I've is not even correct because the time in... I started three minutes late, no one reminded me to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the last time I did that on a podcast. Because <laughs> actually, I, got, I remember the last time I got told off, but I didn't actually swear. Right, let's move on because I'm going to leave this rage part in the actual podcast for people to know for. Um, so as we move on, as we move on, we have people regressing for no reason, Freya. No reason regressing. Okay. And we move. So, so um, we won't have, be able to stop laughing for a good while. We have okay. We mentioned this slightly before, but we have Neris Hughes playing playing um, a main side character in this one. Uh, I remember noting I, I saw her. in the I saw in the credits it said Neris Hughes, and I was like, how do I know her name? And I searched up, and it's like, oh, she's going to be a fourth Doctor companion. Of course, that's how I know her name. Um, so Neris Hughes has a bit more in Doctor Who. So in Torchwood, she plays Reese's mother, both in the TV. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I, I was trying to work out where I knew her face from, and then it was said in the chat that she was Reese's mum, and I'm like obviously she was so good though yeah so... <laughs> just so funny like that like when um not to spoil it but like when the twist happens and she just goes kind of nuts that that's yeah. brilliant and um you know she's so in big finish she's going to be playing margaret companion announced in 2017 i've heard once in 2017 but it's only actually going to get her series finally airing now because fourth doctor adventures are recorded 20 years in advance <laughs> the backlog of those is ridiculous. I need to call it out. Uh, so she's going to be companion to the fourth Doctor and Leela, which will be quite cute. Um, and it's nice to see Neris Hughes starting up so early, I guess, in the 80s, uh, and we're still getting more content with her in the Doctor Who, Doctor Who universe now. Uh, but you I didn't think... tell me that she was going to be with Leela as well. Oh, no, I told you that. You were probably just ignoring the messages. She's well, no, because going... I was, maybe I was just excited about the fact that she was going to be a companion no, no, no. So at all. A... I didn't know there's that Leela was a... going to be in the time a... at the same a... time. There's a clip of Margaret out there where um, foreign Nissa, from Nissa, foreign Leela meets her um, while she's gardening uh, in the oh, island. Oh, brilliant. Oh, my um... gosh. Leela and another female companion. Let me get my ship on. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, 
that's there is huge part and i guess just the final part is the general um climax um and and also the wise old woman who just mocks all the men in a reverse uh poke for that sexism kind of thing uh yes, calling all, Hannah, I all that adore her. <laughs> she's so fun <laughs> Um, and, and then we get the final thing where we have our ring of mirrors and, and Amara escapes and the, <laughs> I, I always love that I remember when I was watching the Twitch marathon the first time around the one thing I remember was just Amara being this big massive inflatable snake uh, it's <laughs> budget is brilliant for that like it's just so derpy and it suddenly vanishes as well um, it's a climax, but it's an anti-climax in its own right, just because it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Uh, and then they're like, you know what, job done. Let's go back to the TARDIS. And, and Nissa comes back later. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the run for it, I guess. Uh, it's a decent story. It's kind of hard to talk about certain parts. The themeology for why it was picked this week is all in your head week. Um, but even things like fears, I feel haunting of the Odati probably tackles a bit stronger anyway. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much that one. Um, Want to run us through haunting of the Odati, Freya? Yes. This unleashes my inner English nerd because it's just great. Um, I, I actually really like this. I know other people think it's kind of meh, but I think most people like this story. But no, I, I actually love it. But that, I think that's mostly because it's got pretty much all my favourite writers in it. And it's a setting that I've wanted to see in Doctor Who for a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically the Doctor and her companions visit Lake Geneva in 1816 on the night that Mary Shelley supposedly created Frankenstein. They were all telling ghost stories. Um, but all is not as it seems because the rooms of the Villa de Adati keep shifting around, ghosts are stalking the halls, skeleton hands are choking people out, and the lone Cyberman is going to turn up at some point. Everything's just not going so well. It's a bit also, of a ghost story, but not really. It, yeah, kind of. It's definitely more sort of, like, obviously the first half more so, it's definitely more trying to go through the tropes of like like what a typical ghost house yeah, yeah. thing Probably is twist it. compared to something like um what's that matt smith one in 7b hide that's the one but compared to that one which tries to be more just general spookiness whereas this one outright just has things smashing against which is fine it's, it's nice to have things obvious as well to be honest yeah and then yeah, yeah no, 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 story no, no, the no. big house done well you go to the sarah jane adventures instead yeah um, I will note here. I will note because we like to bully yeah. uh, Issy week on week, and by we I mean me. Um, That's why he gets name dropped every podcast. By, in the lecture theatre, Issy was confused and surprised that Frankenstein is a horror story because he's only ever seen him in the Hotel Transylvania. To <laughs> 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 be fair, he was a big fan of Byron in that film. He was very big on Byron. <laughs> Yeah, but is he as, as an student, I feel like my episode. somebody's ripping my intestines out. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. What if <laughs> the power of classic literature reduced to? Oh yeah, that guy from Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> Would Mary Shelley have wanted this? Would she have written it? If I mean, she did she would be reduced did to for this? Dracula to be fair, right? Like, I'm sure Dracula will be like. Oh, uh, don't even start. 
<laughs> Whitby? What, what does Dracula have to do with Whitby? Where is Whitby? He's American. <laughs> anyway. I feel a bit sick. <laughs> so, um, obviously, if we have Mary Shelley included, one of the classic things people always muse about Doctor Who, I think one of, one of not all of them, um, is um, this kind of, you know, do Frankenstein and Doctor Who right? Because it feels like one of these really obvious ideas to do. Um, I think, and a lot of people go do Frankenstein by doing Cybermen, uh, which is what Haunting of the Diodati kind of hints toward, right? Uh, I personally think that's not the correct approach. Because um, I think- I'm glad it, they didn't do it like that. I mean, yeah, it's just, they didn't do it like that here either, thankfully. They, they more talk about the zombies here, right? Um, with yeah. the line between um, who was it in Byron? Uh, was it Jody? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they talk more about uh, zombies. I'm glad we didn't really fall into the Simon trap because even um, where there are the Mary Shelley audience with the Ape Doctor, there is a Simon story, but it's deliberately not made as a Frankenstein story. With those, they poke fun that the origin of Frankenstein was of the Doctor. There was a uh, time paradox thing, and there were two versions of the Doctor, and one of him was like burnt to a crisp, basically, and like uh, woke up all of a sudden. Uh, and that was what was framed as Frankenstein's monster. Um, so I don't want any Doctor Who aliens inspiring that because that reduces yeah, exactly, Shelley's talent like, anyway. I'd like the fact that she can do that anyway, and then girl bot her way through a Doctor Who style adventure completely separate. Exactly, like it, um, it shouldn't rely on you know, things Plus, inspiring I it. I don't think Cybermen and Frankenstein are the best comparisons anyway. No, they aren't, because, but I think a lot of because people Frankenstein, try to draw that conclusion. Well, no, it's just that the point of Frankenstein is that it's trying to create a person, artificially create a person with feelings, with soul, but that's the bit that you get wrong, if you know what I mean, whereas Cybermen are about removing that completely it's mm -hmm. like they're complete opposites yeah that it's still body horror but reducing it to simply body horror is not that's not the point of either of those things i can um, tell you're an english lit student right now uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just have a lot of feelings about it they're not comparable at all and my strong feelings on both frankenstein and you know if you've listened to this podcast before for any cyberman episode you know i have strong feelings about cybermen um how ironic so, yeah, I think the way I feel about Cybermen completely means that I would not want to compare them to Frankenstein whatsoever. Excellent. But they're, they're still like a fairly obvious choice to put in an episode like this. No, it is. And it, it, I, you I know, quite like the illusion, power. but like if you were going to um, lean into it in any serious way, I think that'd be a mistake. I mean, it's when that we played up the ghost story, right? So even at the end, um, <clears throat> when Graham was like, ghosts aren't real, right? And the doctor was like, yeah, totally. Um, that's it, that's that's quite fun. Uh, it was fun. I, I, I always think it's a lazy way to excuse putting ghosts in and then not having to explain them later. Uh, but also, it I'm is okay fun. I'm okay with it. To be honest, this episode, I'm, I'm okay like, with it. I'm, I think the, even it if it was, like, was that, it's fun. You know, like the first the first half of the episode was just a pastiche on ghost stories and tropes in general. Um, yeah. So to poke Fanae at the end, being like ghosts could be real, whatever. I don't think that really da damages the story because the main story was still told and delivered. Yeah. You just had the little extra being like, yeah, maybe you should stay superstitious anyway, and not. All ghosts are uh, ravaging uh, Cybermen trying to get Siberium out of someone. Um, also, I kind of like the idea that the Doctor can't just explain everything. Yeah. 
I don't um, like how dismissive the Doctor is of it, though. Like, you go from Capaldi in Under the Lake getting ridiculously excited about the idea of ghosts, and I'm not saying you should go that far because that wouldn't make sense with this Doctor, but to just be so flippant of, or maybe there are ghosts, doesn't um, feel like the Doctor to me. Oh, I think that's okay. I, I, I would hold more issues if actually does it in a moment just after where she sacrificed millions of future humanity to their death. I think there's a tonal clash there where we've gone from a dark moment to a comedy moment, but you needed to type the episode somehow and I get why they didn't want to just end it completely on doom and gloom. The actual dismissing of it, I don't think it's too bad. I think it's more reminiscent of like, uh, of say, uh, the 10th Doctor looking around this sort of thing. He's like, yeah, there's maybe ghosts, whatever. Let's let's move on. Well, maybe uh, the royal family are werewolves. Like, 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 I know, you know, um coming right after 12 may feel a bit jarring but i feel like it's not not in line with previous um doctor incarnations so much so that i'm okay with it being passed off as a joke uh like clearly she solved the biggest mystery of a house and the people are safe if a house is slightly haunted then let it be haunted uh, it like the actual apparitions didn't hurt anyone for example it was all assad so there's just yeah there's that little yeah little I don't bit. think it's a disastrous major problem but it just bothers me that she doesn't seem to be bothered at all I suppose uh, well just imagine that immediately after that she bundles them all into the TARDIS and then takes them to try and find out if ghosts are real and there was a couple of adventures in between where they just did that I mean we bit. totally can cram some time <laughs> gaps into here right like, yeah <laughs> yes that works. <laughs> the thing, the thing, the episode loses in this agency at the end, leading us into final two-parter, is the idea that this is still a time travel show. They don't need to go solve the Siberian shenanigans immediately. They just don't have to do that. Um, and there's always a little bit of a rush. Like I feel, you know, jumping right from haunting to ascension, you need to do it in a TV show because it's serialized. And the audience requires it. But in terms of actually going from one thing to the next, you don't need to rush into it. You have time to plan. You are literally in the time machine. Uh, but that's just one of my little uh, issues with tropes in general. Where like there's always time with a time machine, and I think sometimes the time limit put upon something is a bit more artificial than it needs to be. Yeah. But also, know. this is a meta discussion of the end of the episode. There's a ton that goes in between. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's run down, people. Um, Ryan is still useless. Um, Yaz is still basically kind of useless. Graham has some good comedy though. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan almost gets shot, which would have been quite fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is how they write out Ryan. Polidori just shoots him. <laughs> to be fair, that's that's not not in the realms of possibility. I mean, if if you remember in the actual historical moment that this is based on, the reason Polidori was there is because he was Byron's doctor and brought the drugs, and they were all highest kinds <laughs> pretty much the entire time. So. Um, yeah, he, he was show. he was the dealer essentially. So no wonder he's so unhinged. They had to make him unhinged somehow, but he's like a professional doctor, and they couldn't tell an audience in a family show that it was actually because he brought many opium-based products <laughs> on holiday. Um, so yeah, they sort of had to make him a bit unhinged artificially. But yeah, they would have been all like really high. I <laughs> so how much, people getting um, shot would have 
pinned I'm, on the cards. Maybe. I wonder how much of the enjoyment of this episode is enhanced when you know certain contexts, like you do play it, right? So, for yeah. example, um, Percy Shelley appearing like halfway through. Um, you know, I feel like for someone who knows what goes on around or goes on the events of the actual historical um, meeting of them, it's probably more interesting to. Well, I, I mean, it's great. For I, actually, well. my favorite bit, knowing the context, is all of the banter between. Uh, Byron and Claire Claremont because she was sort of tagging along historically because she kind of fancied Byron and Byron was just like no I don't really want to be with her but she's kind of here I guess um and she was kind of pining and then by the end of the holiday she'd just sort of gone no so I quite like the explanation that she's no longer pining because of how he treated her throughout these entire shenanigans I, I quite like that explanation of it because yeah she was a bit of like a hanger on <laughs> but yeah the regency banter is is great I, I was I was really enjoying that all the dancing and things um yeah I mean I enjoyed, so I, enjoyed uh, the historical I enjoyed fire and being quite a satirical character as well um, how he's played for laughs a bit, you know, like hiding, hiding behind people <laughs> yeah. um, before switching to immediately flirting he probably would have been quite like that too well yeah but it's nice to um, played it up as well though right yeah yeah um, definitely definitely he was just a fairly unhinged guy so uh, yeah no I quite like the fact that he's they, they sort of keep that up although the fact that they can't even talk about most of the stuff that he did because it's just too bad to say on telly at that time of the evening it, kind of makes me laugh like the fact that they address rumors but not that it was that he was doing fairly naughty things with his own half-sister <laughs> and they, and they, yeah. they, they, if it, one of the things in this episode is like you know we had Ada Lovelace in Spyfall and obviously there's a familial connection that was a nice time yeah but like the way they just mentioned it offhandedly like uh Jody's like oh yeah I have I've met Ada um, and it is actually really cool how they've tied in both of them into the same series. Uh, it's just a shame they somewhat didn't have time to do more with it, I guess, because it's quite nice to have like the doctor knows this person from this context and this person from this context. What if then they both met together and was like, I know the doctor. See, that's um, annoying because it would have worked better the other way around. Um, because meeting Byron and then talking to Ada about him probably yeah. would work better than the other way because exactly. I don't know I can't remember how old she was in 1816 I don't I'm rubbish at dates so it might be that she's too young for the doctor to really say yeah, anything exactly. at like, all except oh I've met her but like you know that kind of interaction would have been quite cool especially for mm. interconnectivity kind of thing uh, or possibly a she'll go on to do great things don't worry mm. about her sort of thing would have been quite nice yeah so like it's it, it's nice that we get a little offhand mention um mm. but there could have totally been more there as well I think um which is a bit of a shame um yeah okay it's still a fun time though i quite enjoy that mm. okay uh next part so uh shall we talk about uh mary shelley specifically yes i how love she her is in the episode? <laughs> to also unhinged in real life may i add <laughs> she was she was quite a, like she seemed to be quite a strong character in the show which is sort of rare yeah. for chibnall who i find so With, that was, you can't that write her any other way and have no. her be Mary Shelley. She just was like that. I mean, and talking of unhinged behaviour, she did naughty things on her own mother's grave. 
We talked about that in the lecture. We talked about that. (laughs) I told you it was true. You all doubted me. I said it was right. No, she was like, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that was her emo face. But yeah, basically everyone here. I I don't actually think that the energy in that room was unhinged enough. Well, no, that's the thing. Because they were all nuts. But if you make the episode too unhinged, people will start to doubt its veracity like sometimes history is actually too insane uh <laughs> people will be like this doesn't seem realistic when actually it would be uh and you probably risk... they might destroy frankenstein for people if they knew how nuts mary shelley really was like you know uh this is still based as a bit of a horror story and you need that kind of dark tinge to it so you can have comedy but you can't go too overboard well you can thing is sometimes you can go too overboard and still balance it with darker horror but i don't think in the time so when haunting is airing at like 7 p.m 6 p.m but you can probably pull that off really well um probably not. no i think you're probably right like you could go quite surreal and quite dark um Doom Patrol when I watch that does that quite often um but you yeah, it's that to... energy they should have had that energy like, like that energy is fantastic but like you are going to have to start being more free with the filters you have and start pushing boundaries and I think for still yeah. I mean as a family show you are quite limited in how much you can do it so if you imagine this as like an episode of Torchwood that would have probably yeah. been quite insane um, you know, oh my god, Captain well, the John Torchwood Hart, team are basically just Hart, as unhinged anyway. Yeah, I mean, Captain John Hart meets Mary Shelley. Um, Captain John Hart meets Lord Byron. <laughs> like, you can imagine <laughs> that would go very well. Right? Oh, that would be incredible. Um, uh, we probably have finish, are limited, you know? we are going to be limited in how much you can do it within the uh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. But this is why I'm giving the tidbits now, just to make sure everyone knows because everyone needs to know they were not. um so um asad himself and the lone cyberman um i I have many thoughts about him do you i don't particularly like him i I know i know people do i know people do the idea of a cyberman with feelings makes me so angry (laughs) literally uh, when he has like a bit of humanity like if you're gonna do that don't make him completely evil anyway that's like really besides the point if you're going to give him a little glimmer of humanity still don't immediately be like oh yeah and then i like took glee and crushing life from people oh make it like it really screws with them like i don't like the fact that he has feelings no he should have an inhibitor i don't like it if you're going to see human body parts in a cyberman make them completely emotionless because you need to get the sense that it's a human husk that's been hollowed out and used you can't have feelings in there it just it doesn't compete no mm-hmm. i don't like it i mean i do like him being evangelical in ascension being like in the hands of a believer and all that stuff like that's really fun oh his dialogue is good he's a good villain i just don't like the fact that he's part cyberman like either have a really cool villain like that that's sort of part robot and been mm-hmm. half converted by someone else that's not a Cyberman, or just have emotionless husk of a Cyberman that's clearly a human. Maybe uh, it, bonus points if it's someone we knew before that happened to them. Mm-hmm. I think he'd have been better if the Cybermen had been done better historically. Like we've talked several times about how the Cybermen haven't really been done as completely emotionless since they first appeared. And if they'd yeah, got that true. right all the way through and the Simon hadn't had any emotion at all, and then you had this, I think that would have worked a lot better. 
but because the Cybermen we've seen before, more recently, have already been this kind of, they still seem to have yeah, some writers in both This doesn't seem new. special. Yeah, writers in both Classic and New are obsessed with giving Cybermen emotions between excellence and all that stuff in Classic Who to New Who having uh, Danny Pink Cybermen, oh, for example. I don't like that either. It makes me so mad. No, I, I, oh, it's that, like, so... I don't like that. I feel like as well. It's like, oh, he's been ripped apart, shoved in a Cyberman, and oh, miraculously, the only thing not working so far is his inhibitor. Wow. <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm so mad. That's because he doesn't click delete on the thing, isn't it? He gets the tablet and he doesn't click delete oh, on the emotions. Actually, but yeah. still, it, it's just annoying. It's really annoying. I don't like how it's later on in this storyline and more so in the Timeless Children, but in these as well, where like there's this weird obsession over the last few times of making the Cybermen like secondary villains. Sort of you have a shard who is leader of the Cybermen, but all the focus is on a shard. The shard is the main thing, or the master in charge of them, or you know, something like Doomsday, where you have an entire planet of Cybermen and four Daleks and the Daleks are scarier. I feel like a lot of Cybermen stories sort of in just... They're definitely they're definitely overused in like New Who, um, to an obsessive degree. Um I think they're overused to an amount that actually makes it um like you can still make good Simon stories, good Simon stories out there exist that haven't been done yet, but for some reason we're being retread over the same kind of tropes that will just get boring and they're just more generic villain. Like, please just retire them for a couple of years, retire the master, retire the Daleks. Well, Daleks probably won't get retired, but retire all that stuff for a couple of years. Let us see something new, potentially some other recurring villain or returning villains if you want, but just stop treading the same ground. It's quite tiring. Um, I personally quite enjoy, um, similar with the Dalek Emperor and similar with Rassilon, I quite enjoy the um, big villain, big bad being insane and kind of evangelical and quite um, putting themselves up as this kind of god figure. Um, got, uh, Dalek Emperor does that in Passing of the Ways. Um, Rassilon does that kind of in End of Time, more in Gallifrey Time War, but it's awesome to watch and i'd quite you know i I'd be... yeah but is it awesome to listen to <laughs> absolutely the pain the pain um but then, yeah no I, I absolutely agree with you on like like you know if we had just stuff. this if we had the shad who's you know trying to restore the sideman race if they tried to elevate him more into this kind of idea of godhood you know that's still breaching the emotion rules but i think you'd at least be going to this new idea for cybermen where you've got this one leader who's not just a cyber controller but trying to really reinstate the cyber race in a new way but it's almost like they, they almost like, like the, the, the sort of second coming of john lumick <laughs> Yeah, but like instead we remove our agency from Ashad and just create the cyber lords instead by the master. But why not let Ashad ha- handle all of that? I think that's just slightly more interesting. Make mm. him become an obsessive. Like if you're already giving him emotions violating that rule, just make him go all the way. Make him think yeah. he will reboot this thing. And like you're kind of creating a new genesis there as well, um, in its own way. Uh, but that's a spin on the side we really haven't had a touch on before. Uh, but you just kind of stop short just before it. And it's just a bit of a shame. Like, you're close to creating this new novel idea that may fail, but at least it's better to say that you've tried than not doing it at all. Um, and that's, I think, what Ashad kind of collapses around for me. Like, his design is awesome. Um, the actor also plays him quite well, but he ends up just kind of going nowhere. And also, you know, 
when when they see the lone Cyberman, the uh, Yaz and Ryan and Graham are like, "Oh my God, Jack said don't get, don't give him what he wants," and they just shout about that for like five seconds, being like, "Look how tied in this plot is." But it's so irrelevant. Ultimately, like it meant nothing. It just felt like this random uh, act of dialogue added to the episode. Like I, the audience should probably remember that Captain Jack was there, and like. I know we have memories of Goldfish, but Captain Jack appearing was one of the more significant parts. You don't need to burst out explaining that she shouldn't give him the thing. She should just, like, one of the people should go, but Jack Jack said about the Lone Sideman, remember? And that should be it. Not to make it this kind of melodramatic scene that it feels like it is to me. Yeah, just one of them reminding the Doctor and making sure she's very aware of that before she makes her choice. Mm-hmm. It's necessary because... Like you would, wouldn't you? If you mm-hmm. saw someone doing something that you'd explicitly told them not to do on the warning from someone else, mm-hmm. you would remind them in that moment. So like a reminder's fine, but the way that they do it, just sort of screeching at her for a bit, is a bit... Uh, so melodramatic. Not the best, not the best <laughs> way of doing it. Even okay, when it seems they immediately trust Jack's judgment over the doctors, even though they met him for five minutes and they've been travelling with her for however long. She's an idiot. I mean, this is true, <laughs> but yeah, I no, I, like, see, I know I get your point. Particularly the way those companions are written, they should have slightly more faith in the Doctor than in this random bloke they've never met before. Yeah, although to be fair, Jack came with prior knowledge of the Lone Cyberman. The Doctor doesn't know anything about the Lone Cyberman, but Jack did. So that it's clear true. that like somebody knew more. How did but, Jack know? So that's never addressed. Christian told him. Yeah, that's how. I mean, you know what? Jack probably has access to the tortured archive, and in the 52nd century, for example, when we still know humanity is kicking about, they probably have historical records and things like this. Um, I think headcanning it back to stuff that happened in earlier tortured events is not going to be the most shocking of things you know he has his vortex manipulator on him etc it's all stated explicitly it's a bit naff but it's probably not the hardest thing to work your head around either um as much as that silence went on for a few seconds too long um um, i will say in general and i've said this before um i personally think um in terms of the flak series 12 gets that it's undeserved um like, I will agree that Orphan 55 is absolute trash. And I will agree that Timeless Children is mediocre. I personally think that people overreact a bit to the Timeless Children changes because, in my opinion, they're not really changes that fundamentally change anything. Although that is for some people I why it's bad. Um, like, I think in terms of finales, Ascension of Simon, Timeless Children is, like, it's okay. It's mediocre and on the poor side, but it's not the worst we've ever gotten, hell-bent. Um... How but, dare um, you? The series 12 overall, I think, actually has this kind of novel feel about it. Um, I've not particularly gone back to rewatch it because I don't tend to rewatch the new Who stuff. I have too much other things to do. Um, but like it, it, it has this kind of later RTD feel to it, or maybe earlier. Um, but I think it's quite nice. Like, there's only a couple episodes I actively wouldn't want to rewatch in series 12, and the rest I'd actually be pretty chill with doing so. You know, there's Fugitive, there's um, Tesla, 
practice is okay. It's not the best, but it's all right. And some people enjoy it. Um, Can You Hear Me has a good first half that kind of is let down by its ending. Um, but I think series 12 in general would probably be my favourite Chibnall series still. Just Actually, I know of... I'd say the same. It's definitely better than yeah, series 11. I, I wouldn't rewatch most of series 11, but I'd rewatch a good chunk of series 12. I like the historicals. Yeah, I think, like, it's just I think like because sort of the finale... Um, it, like angers so many people. Uh, it angers me, but I'd still rewatch. But I think, it. but I think some people potentially lose a bit of perspective on the rest of the series. Like unlike Flux, where a good finale is needed to make the rest of the series worthwhile. Here, it was still individualistic episodes, and I think you can still take yeah. enjoyment. You could kind of ignore that the timeless children exist, which is what I tend to do. To be honest, mm-hmm. I just I try not to get mad. I just ignore it. I go, yeah. that's not my canon shut up it's going yeah um, and then i just rewatch the other ones in the series that i do like yeah so like i don't think series 12 is that terrible uh especially when you compare it to certain like series 7 b's for example yeah i, I, was, um, I was literally like, gonna say I, exactly I, that like it's better than some others we've got and i was gonna say series 7 b's <laughs> yeah i've got to say i prefer 7 b to series 12 i think maybe because that's exists, maybe that's because <laughs> i was maybe that's because i was that was when I was like first started properly watching it, so I definitely have nostalgia for Seven. Oh, but that, I, st- yeah. that, I still that. think like I like Clara in general, although I. <laughs> well, you can. Do, you, do you want that? that? <laughs> I'm not getting back on this podcast now. I've said that. I've <laughs> no, gone no from you this. absolutely are. You are absolutely. Getting <laughs> no, don't worry. We have we have um, a, a sort of split on that one. Uh, well, I, for the record, hate her. That everyone agrees that Rose is trash. I oh don't. no! Yeah, I, like I thought Rose. Rose. I don't like Rose. Two Rose is horrible. Thank you very much. Up okay. until no, series, she's frustrating. <laughs> she can be annoying, specifically in school reunion. She's very irritating, but the rest of the time, no, I love her. Am I projecting nostalgia? Yes. The thoughts that dubbed her in a parallel universe to get away from her. That's how bad she was. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, like... anyway. <laughs> so to move on so we can wrap up and I know this podcast has gone over and also I need to edit out for swearing um, Sorry. so question time finally some questions this week as opposed to last week um, question one um, this was from Jacob alumni extraordinaire um, Jodie's team structure speech is cited as the best, best doctor moment do you agree if not what is um, first of all since when was it cited as the best doctor moment? I've, I've not heard... seen that either. Sorry, Jacob, but I haven't I've, actually seen I've, that. I've never seen that cited. Um, it's I, think I, I, I think I've seen it Jacob twice cited as a few like, places. It's one of her better moments for sure, but I don't think it's one of her best moments. Um, like I think she has various parts of agency in different episodes that make her quite fun. Um, I think collectively, for example, just to counteract this, and I use struggling to think of alternatives, like there are scenes, for example, in the casino in Spyfall, where it's actually quite fun to watch her try to uh, camp it up a bit. At the end of this episode, I already mentioned that I like her little joke of Argo Thrill, maybe, I don't know. Um, I think it's little little bits that are actually quite fun. Um, even in um, Flux episode one, the opening sequence, as much as we've mocked it, I quite like that sequence between her and Yaz and like trying to escape and stuff. Like it's terrible CGI, don't get me wrong, but it's quite adventurous and um, pretty fun in its own right. Um, not think... better necessarily than this, but I don't think her team structure thing is the best moment. I think she's a completely different doctor to most of the ones that have come before her, certainly recently. And when people look for doctor moments, they look for 
what they think of as being previous doctor moments they but that isn't how this doctor they is they look the speeches <laughs> and so her doctor moments are not the same as what previous doctor moments have been well, i agree and it's like actually can i cite one that i think is actually good despite not liking the episodes themselves i think most conflicts that she has with the master and the series 12 finale I just love the way that they interact with each other. I think they're brilliant. And oh yeah, seeing her like just being genuinely really intense, I love. Yeah. I'm... Also in War of the Sontarans, going up against the Sontarans, I think she really shines in conflict. Yeah, no, like, when she's actually given a good conflict like, I think speech. Most of us have said, like, like Jody herself in War of the Sontarans is really good. Yeah. Um, genuinely. So, and I mean I agree, Joe, like people tend to, I think, look for Dr. Moments as speeches because Moffat really overdid the speeches. And th- um, I think he did, yeah. And so, like, here... Not that you, I don't like them, because I do. No, but, like, <laughs> but, like, they're great, but, like, for example, here, like, even the Daleks, Jodie suddenly starts giving this random speech, and I just don't care, because it's not really Jodie's doctor, it doesn't feel like. Like, she doesn't give speeches, especially... Like, it feels like it's meant to be dramatic to kind of harken back to the old days, but it's okay for your doctor not to rely on speeches. Like I think she does, there are different kind of speeches, Mm -hmm. like her speech in Demons of the Punjab, where she's marrying Yaz's Gran and Prem. And that's a wonderful moment as well. It's a wonderful Doctor moment and it's a speech, but it's a very different kind of speech to Matt Smith at Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. I think people are trying to chase the next epic moment to define it as a Doctor moment. That doesn't need to be a Doctor moment. Also, she's not the best communicator anyway. She does a lot of things with action she doesn't like it's because she's so socially awkward oh. i'm so sorry I but, yeah, but, oh. <laughs> but no this is annoying think, that's think, sort of what i'm question, getting at like she's yeah. not the one to like i think the communicate her bit, feelings very readily so i don't think she's that prone to big emotional speeches yeah, i think the question just is just a bit unfair to jody i guess like i think there are certainly a lot of actually good and documents with Jodie um and like even struggling to think of off the top of my head it's because the moments don't come in short bursts they come with more grandiose themes at points and that's okay you know um she just does things differently Uh, she's more like five let's say in that regard like she'll still be there doing things but she won't necessarily make it completely explicit in how she's working on it that's fine um i certainly don't think a team structure moment is the best one i think that's people like it because she's suddenly becoming antagonistic to the fan which everyone else hates um anyway uh other question uh what's the worst effect cgi snake or puppet snake CGI is the worst. I, I love Puppet Snake. I personally I love, love both Snake. of them, so... Both of them are wonderful. <laughs> they are great. C- CGI Snake is, is just awful. Puppet Snake, I, I, I love the Puppet Snake. Also, I have, a little snake, soft spot, um, I have a little soft spot for actually doing physical, practical effects. Um, yeah. No, like, I like it's, it because it's it nice just... to see. Like, even if it looks a bit naff sometimes, I like to see the creativity that goes into practical effects. Like, I yeah, because it's better than just, like, doing there's a lot of CGI, CGI and having CGI bad too. CGI, but going, oh, wow, because it's, like, technology uh, like technology being used rather than bubble wrap. But actually, you can sometimes get a better effect with bubble wrap, so why also, not it's use nice, it? it's nice to have a little bit of nostalgia. Like, we watch it, I think, these days, you know, kind of in love of it, uh, and yeah. a little bit of, like... 
heart. You know, um, Gremlins as well, those two movies back in the 80s, they are completely, well, there's some sea jumpers, a lot of it is practical effects, and I really appreciate that most of it is, you know, practical effects. Um, because it just, like, it's interesting as a skill to me. I'm not saying CGI is bad, but it's interesting as a skill to be able to see that. Uh, it's, I guess, how I grab that one up. Anyway, I also, go on. I was, uh, sorry, I, was say, I also don't get why you'd watch Classic Who and think we should make this CGI. I like Classic Who, <laughs> that it's all, like, hammy plastic effect. Or like you said, bubble wrap monsters, like in the Ark in Space, which just looks... <laughs> yes. Looks great. Bubble wrap Slugman, I love it. <laughs> I just adore him. I do. And then just the really weird, even like, again, the really weird cliffhanger of that, like, terrible prop falling out of the cupboard <laughs> at the end of part one. Like, why would you watch that and think, oh, yes, let's CGI that and add a little, like, no, 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 the plastic of the... the it's what makes it fun to watch. It. Like, it's not meant to be serious. It's meant yeah. to be camp and it's meant to be a bit funny. Um, I will always be happy with a bigger budget going towards Doctor Who, but I won't be angry about there isn't. Like, yeah. You can still pull things off. And uh, in general, like, I feel like sometimes it hides the pacing a bit if you're laughing at the bits in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which true. is why it's fun watching them together with people, especially the classic episodes where um, the pacing is generally okay, but like sometimes when it slips, you can still laugh about it. Um, yeah. So... Freya, what are we watching next week? This is your week. I'm so excited (laughs) for this. Really, I've been wanting to do this ever since I was let loose on the schedule because one of my favourite New Who episodes is Tooth and Claw uh, and my favourite Sarah Jane Adventures episode is Eye of the Gorgon. So we are doing both of those next week and I'm ecstatic about it. And I'm so glad we pushed it back so I could actually do it in person. Because otherwise (laughs) I would imagine. Yeah, it was going to be this week, but we pushed it back because of Byron's birthday. Oh yeah, but if Joe was here, yeah, we'd have we... mentioned the Byron's birthday part. That's, oh yeah, that's... yeah, we, we showed it. We showed Villadia Dirty <laughs> this week because it was the closest to Byron's birthday. Great. Um, so yeah, <laughs> we got it in better. there. We got it in there. Joe, don't kill us. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tooth and Claw. I've the Gorgon. Get ready I'm for ecstatic. your favorite Chrissy Jackson moment, certified one. <laughs> well, isn't that the the, the shoe? Yeah, but this one's also quite statue it's just too this good. is for next week we're getting off topic again quick <laughs> no but you could talk about it anytime genuinely it's just wonderful anyway yeah excited for that so um guess we will see you then can't come quick enough bye farewell bye purple radio podcasts Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.